talking about. I'm assuming Minecraft furnace is in here. That furnace doesn't look like a Minecraft furnace. What? <laughs> you said turn the furnace off. I said don't forget the furnace. Yeah, okay, don't forget the furnace, but that doesn't that is not a furnace, TJ. I've seen a furnace in Minecraft, and that's no furnace. Do we now live in Minecraft? <laughs> I learned everything in Minecraft, obviously. I learned how to live in Minecraft. <laughs> I learned how to live in Minecraft. What if they made a virtual reality version of Minecraft? I think they do. Oh, they have one where you can put the goggles on? Yeah, I think they have a VR version. Or at least they might have like had a test demo version of it at one point. I feel like I remember that hearing. The fan is on. Yes, it is. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Are we recording? We are recording. Welcome back to another episode of the Manic Movie Misfits podcast. I am your co-host, Juan Felipe. And I'm the other one, Trevor Chick. He is the other one. Today is a very special Movie of the Week episode. Well, to be honest, all Movie of the Week episodes are special. I want to make that clear. They're all special in their own way. Last week, last week was Ordinary People, wasn't it? Seinfeld. Seinfeld was last week. So we went from a depressed family to, to a, a bunch of jerks. Yeah, to sitcom. To sit- which sitcom? Wow. Now we move, we move on to one of the most iconic films of all time. A film that has inspired many directors and is taught... To many film students. Aspiring filmmakers. Uh, aspiring filmmakers. Thank you, TJ, yeah. for fixing that up. We have our... T- we'll explain this in a second. We should probably tell everyone now. Yeah, let's do but, it. We'll, but let me get my, through my thing, and then we'll yeah. explain what's going on here in the middle of us. By the way, we're on camera. Check us out on YouTube if you want to see the visual perspective. Yeah, of me setting this thing up. Of TJ, <laughs> TJ setting this thing up. And we're going to move to Egypt. They're in Egypt, correct? Yeah. Yeah. We're going to move to Egypt and hang out with Indiana Jones and Dr. Jones and the Ark. And what is it? Like the Ark of the Covenant or something like that? Mm-hmm. Ark of the Covenant. There we go. TJ's, TJ's my fact checker guy. It's awesome. And yeah, we're going we're gonna to chill with him. But before we do that, as I alluded to earlier, TJ, what have we got going on in the middle here? I mean... um. We have our classic Lodge Dutch, Dutch oven cooking VHS thing that's in here. The ultimate in, the the best in cooking programs. That is true. Uh, but recently we have acquired a steelbook for the movie Street Fighter uh, with Jean-Claude Van Damme and Raul Julia. And we have it sitting with the Dutch oven cooking basics thing. I mean, can't go wrong. Probably the best double feature in existence. Honestly. It, it very much so, because we get the very informational... Both are informational, quite frankly. We learn a lot about politics and stuff from Street Fighter. <laughs> but... And and how war is conducted. But... But here we have a very informational... How to use a Dutch oven. How to cook with it. Got your pies. You got your whatever. Your... Yeah. Whatever else you want to cook with, with your Dutch oven. And then we have basically a tutorial on martial arts, politics, war, video games, all wrapped into one. So a lot of information here, but this one you get, it definitely there's more of a fun factor with Street Fighter. 
but large Dutch oven cooking definitely has its fun too. It really, it's just a, it's a very powerful combo yeah. that TJ and I will definitely double feature at some point in the future. And oh, yeah. we will be doing, you better believe we're doing a movie of the week on street fighter because that's just how life works. And we run this podcast. Yeah. But we are not here to talk about Street Fighter. We are here to talk about, as I mentioned, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah. So I think before we get into the film, TJ, discuss it, what we like, what we dislike, we should probably talk about our viewing experience for this film because it was a little different than a lot of people today get to experience it, like how they experience it today. So what was that viewing experience, good sir? Uh, We saw it in theaters. We did. Uh, they were showing it for flashback, whatever. Uh, was it? It was 40th anniversary, correct? I, I I think it turned 40 last year. Oh, was it last year? Yeah, but um, I mean, we watched it nonetheless. I mean, and it was fantastic, as I we talk about. Yeah, you can't go wrong. It's it's Indiana Jones. It's Doctor Jones. Doctor Jones. Doctor Jones. That was a terrible German accent. I don't even I don't even know what that was. It was just me being an idiot. But <laughs> anyway, let's move on to the film itself. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. So we were in the theater. It was you, me, and my brother William. Mm-hmm. Pretty popular, pretty packed theater. And I wasn't surprised. It is a very popular movie, of course. Yeah, we saw it on Father's Day because that's the day it just came out. Did the thing on. Uh, but yeah, it was pretty packed for both Father's Day, people being out for dinner and all that. But I mean, you're showing Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's going to be packed anyway. Probably. It is. Also, I will mention this now in because I don't think it's going to fit in our conversation later on. It might, but it probably won't. I was... One thing in particular that these movies have when they th- put them in the throwback cinema stuff is they have a guy that talks at the beginning. And he oh, talks yeah. about the behind the scenes of the film and just some of the movie making stuff. And they talked about my homie, and hold on, hold on, hold on, holding up the car right now. Mm. I am giving off major fanboy vibes, and people are like, God damn it, dude, just like control yourself. No. So, so, (laughs) she's giving me that look. Uh, So, he talked about that the original cat, the original actor that Spielberg wanted for Indiana Jones was Tom Selleck, who... Obviously, for those that don't know, played a very iconic television character at the same time called, named Thomas Magnum in the show Magnum P.I. But he went on a four or five sentence sort of spree talking about they actually talking about Magnum, which came out of nowhere because yeah. it obviously isn't the main main uh, part. Yes. It's not a part of the film at all. But that was really cool to see. And as a Tom Selleck and Magnum P.I. fan, that was pretty cool because he was the obviously, as I mentioned, the original choice for indie and i think tj and i both agree he would have been different but i think he would have been good i think you see yeah. you see that charisma and that some of the characteristics of indiana jones in magnum yeah i think uh the i mean yeah the, it would be very different uh because i mean tom Selleck and harrison ford carry very different energies when it comes to like being that kind of hero vibe um but it definitely would have been an interesting what if, like you said, you mentioned that yesterday. Uh, and I mean, good on, I mean, go Magnum, or not Magnum, uh, Tom Selleck for doing Magnum, because I mean, he 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 went hard and achieved greatness, and 
I mean, Harrison Ford became, I mean, one of the most iconic characters of all time. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. They both managed to land an iconic character in their respective yeah. media. All right. Now it's time to get to the film itself. But before we get into our thoughts, I'm going to just clarify the plot of the film. Yeah. Because it, it can be a little bit confusing at times because they do, there is, a, there is a lot of talking at points and uh, some of the finer details may have been missed. But basically what happens is at the beginning of the film, we see Indy in Peru and he's trying to get this golden statue thing. I mean, it's the iconic opening, as everyone knows. He runs from a boulder that's chasing him. And then he goes back to Marshall College where he teaches and then he has a one of the his colleagues who tells him about these U.S. agents, I believe they are, and it, who want to talk to him. Mm-hmm. And they basically basically explain to him that the Nazis are going after the Ark of the Covenant, and that and they're trying to find this. I can't remember his first name, but Karen Allen is that her name? Mm-hmm. Karen Allen's dad. Their last names are Ravencroft, but... Ravenwood. Ravenwood, sorry. Thank you for the clarification, TJ. Yeah. They are going after... They're trying to find the uh, Indy's friend who is the the father of Karen Allen's character because he knows where the location, their general location is for the Ark of the Covenant. He he ends up di- he's He ends up being dead at this point. Don't give the whole movie away. What do you mean? They've seen it by now. I don't know. Well, you don't have to go plot point by plot point. Okay, that's fair. Anyway, that's the that's the foundation of the film and where it goes from there. And Indy meets Karen and things ensue. But anyway, and, and I should put the spoiler up warning because we should have done that earlier. But yes, this is we're getting into all sorts of spoilers here because we're talking about the film in depth. But yeah, that is essentially the beginning of the plot. And like I said, it can get a little convoluted in my opinion at times, especially if it's your first watch or you're watching it after a while from a previous viewing experience. And the other things I'll say about it, because we're talking about the plot anyway, is it is extremely fun. I think that is quite an obvious yeah. observation, but it is true. And and in, and it has been copied many of times, many mm-hmm. times as well. Yeah. And then... Yeah, it's but it's extremely fun, copied many times, referenced many times. Yeah. And then coupled with that is sort of my first revelation after this rewatch, because it's been a while since I had seen this movie. And so and so finally getting to sit down and see it and also in a big theater kind of revealed a lot of things to me. One of which is the, the pacing of this film is incredible. And the speed with which this film moves is incredible. It moves naturally. It's it ha- it's a it's a slightly fa- it's it's kind of a medium speed, sort of a, a but a little faster speed as well. Uh, steady, consistent. He always keeps you engaged, but gives you information when needed, and still keeping it keeps the ball rolling. You never feel there's any snag. It's efficient. Gets to the point. And moves. It is. It is awesome. Yeah. Um. I mean, in my personal opinion, I think like even before I rewatched this, I, in my opinion, I thought it's it's probably one of the best paced movies I think I've ever seen. 
it's one of those ones where I've I've seen it countless times, and every time it 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 just feels natural. It there's never one time where it was like this feels super slow or this feels like incredibly fast. It it just it moves at its own pace. There's no like I said no snags, no nothing. It, it's just it's it, it goes through the motions in a perfect fashion. I mean, uh, and all the scenes are are placed well too. Yeah. Uh, as far as because you you do obviously there are some slower scenes still in the film and some there's longer scenes, shorter scenes. The way they're all pieced together is just genius because it it keeps that that pace going and keeps it at that steady speed. And you never really it never takes you out of the illusion that the film is trying to give you. Yeah, I, I see where you're coming from. Yeah, and. I think another reason the, the, the pacing is so great is it's it's in a testament to Spielberg's the great direction he gives to yeah. the film. He he Spielberg is is known for his direction and his vision when he's on set, knowing it, it, it imagining where this you know a certain scene fits onto his films where it's placed in his films. He's kind of known as that director that is very visionary and understanding where certain things go. All at that exact moment. Yeah. And that is evident in, again, this whole pacing, uh, extravaganza, extravaganza, all this awesomeness. And then the last thing I'll mention too about the pacing is, and just uh, how it just grabs you, is that opening because yeah. it gets right to it. Uh, there's no delays. There's no just set up. We got to set this up. We got to set this up. We're just, it's almost like a cold open. We're just getting you right into the action. It's fun. It's, it encapsulates the adventure that you'll see with the rest of the Indiana Jones movies in that, how, how long would you say that opening is, roughly? Uh, 10 minutes. Yeah, 10 minutes. It's not that long. Not that long. But it is just, it, it just grabs you right away. And I think this is an important thing to mention too. That is, I love when films do that because... That is also an example of a great screenplay, and that is, of course, what this film is known for primarily, not primarily, but I guess primarily in the sense when when professors and stuff are taught, are teaching film, because this is the script that they, this is one of the top scripts film uh, professors will grab and discuss with, with film students, and this opening 10 minutes is, is one of those reasons, because, is a reason why, because it it's and William Goldman, who is a famous screenwriter, talks about this. In screenplay writing, you want that first, especially if you want a producer to grab a film, you want that first ten to fifteen minutes to really grab you. Yeah, and because producers or or just people maybe that aren't you know hardcore movie people will it they have a shorter attention span and they're not there necessarily to sit for let's say a Lawrence of Arabia and, and wait till events unfold. So you that 10 to 15 minutes is crucial because it really puts you in the illusion, grabs you and uh gets you engaged for the rest of the film. Yeah, I mean I mean I, I um I mean the opening to this movie is just phenomenal. I mean it, it like you said it, it throws you right in there and it uh I mean like from from like the opening like two-ish minutes of like where it's just it's only like shadow shots of indie and then it like only showing like all his little 
uh, travel partners like doing their thing. And then like it finally reveals Indiana Jones and it's, it's so cool. I, um, I mean, I hadn't seen this movie in a while, like I said, and I, I I just forgot how cool that moment is because it's so well filmed and just, uh, it's such a well-crafted sequence. Uh, and then, I mean, you get the classic going into the temple, uh, run from the boulder. One of the most iconic shots of all time with, with Indiana Jones with the bag of sand. Yeah. And placing it on where the statue is and moving the statue off. Yeah. That level shot where it's him right there with the two. Yeah. I was going to say there's, there's tons of iconic things just even in the first 10 minutes alone. And we, oddly enough, we get the origin story of Doc Ock too in this film, which is kind of, which is kind of weird. Of course. We see Doc, we see Alfred Bellina and we can only assume that is definitely Dr. Octavius. Yeah. I think that's the easiest conclusion. Yeah. After he gets stabbed through the head, he becomes a scientist. (laughs) Yeah. That's, that's. He ends up living through that. <laughs> he ends up surviving. Oh yeah, and uh, and manages to uh, defy nature and not age. Yeah, and becomes Doc Ock. So anyway, that was kind of weird, but it just jumped out to me on this rewatch. I didn't think about that before, but hey, that's kind of cool. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> the another thing that's included in that opening that is seen throughout the film is the great set pieces. Mm-hmm. And action sequences in this film, because yeah. even if you're not paying attention, if you somehow miss certain points in the plot or not paying attention to the plot, that's okay. Because, well, it's not necessarily okay, but it's it's okay from the standpoint that you still get a lot of enjoyment out of other things yeah. in the film. As far as the it's it's grand scale nature and the action that goes on, that sort of thing. Yeah, uh, I mean. Oh god, I I forgot what I was gonna say. Uh, I I will say I think we both kind of talked about this. At least I did. On this rewatch, it surprised me how many times I kept thinking, "Oh, damn, this is authentic. This is authentic. Yeah, this is going on." They went full. They went full force into this part where there was only the the submarine and boat sequence was only there for a few minutes but yeah. they brought a whole freaking submarine out there and a boat in the middle of the sea or whatever and filmed it they yeah, didn't for, have to they could have just sort of yeah, got tricked got smart time. with the camera angles and only sh- and made a maybe had it made a set with a quarter of a submarine and a uh, yeah, a half Titanic. of a boat but they went all out yeah um which I mean, it, sorry TJ, yeah. go ahead i mean the dedication to I mean, crafting some of those sequences is, I mean, just fantastic. I mean, um, like John just said, I mean, the, like, the way they go really hard and, like, uh, going, like, hard with all the little details and, like, the, like, the tombs and, or the temples and, like, uh, like, bringing out full ships and stuff like that. I mean, it's, it's crazy the amount of detail for like sequences that honestly aren't in the movie that much. Like I always forget how little, like short the boat sequence is. Cause, um, I mean, it's only well, like three scenes long, maybe like, Oh, maybe, maybe like one more. Mm-hmm. It's short. It's like, it's like seven minutes of screen time, but like they go hard in those seven minutes. And I mean, to the point where 
Indiana Jones is literally swimming from the boat to yeah. the submarine and getting on it. Yeah. I mean, it no 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 set piece goes to waste because it's it's all super cool and even if it's only on screen for a few minutes, they're gonna get their money's worth out of it. It's it's a cool venture. And it's gonna not only it, it, it's it's great because films at that time were doing what I was saying, which is getting crafty with the shots so they didn't have to go all the way. And it is that idea of them going all the way that's going to make this film age incredibly well several decades from now. It's already aged well, and it's going to keep aging well for decades to come because of... It's authenticity. It's authenticity, lack of CGI. There is some, obviously. There are some special effects, but very, very little and very real set pieces in in the film. Yeah, it's it's one of those ones where, I mean, it it just looks so fantastic for the time. Yes, it has like some CGI that I mean, it looks some parts of it look like eighty CGI, but I mean, we expect it's an eighties movie. It's it's not like it's it's not going to look like a modern like superhero movie. I mean, it came out in the eighties. It came out forty years ago. What, what the expect? heck? I was expecting Blade Runner 2049 CGI. What is this? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but I mean, for even with that, it looks so fantastic. Um, it, it's just one of those ones where it's like, it, it, no matter how old it, it is, it's going to look fantastic. It was a real treat seeing it on the big screen for that very reason. Oh, I yeah. think that is one of the reasons to go see it, is to just see all of these, these sets in 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 full as the filmmaker wanted you to see them yeah uh i mean it's it's no there's no reason why this didn't win uh best like sets and stuff like that because it's it gets you so giddy too yeah there's something so cool about like the craftsmanship that goes into that kind of thing because i mean it's just so cool oh my gosh it it never gets old i i think the reason i keep talking coming back to the submarine bit is because i think that one fully just got me because there would are there was already a few after that but that was just a whole nother level of we're gonna shove these we're gonna get a whole crew film crew cast bring them out in the middle of the sea and film this with a legit submarine a legit boat and i think that's just why i keep coming back to it is because of how big that particular bit is but there are some other great moments for example the bomber part where yeah. the, the plane part which is one of the moments i remember that that made me squirm as a kid and still kind of squ- made me squirm a little where the the fan comes around and ko's the guy that is oh. one of my favorite movie kills because it is just it's it's i love the the camera angle first of all where it's shot sort of down lower but that idea that we know something that another character doesn't and it's in a tense moment with a bunch of stuff going on, explosions, gasoline spilling everywhere. Yeah. Indiana clearly fighting an inferior opponent. And we see this fan come around. We, we, you first watch it, you wonder, what's going to happen? How is, how is Indy going to get gonna get out of this one? He's fighting yeah. a dude that clearly has the upper advantage. Sure enough, the prop comes around and KOs him. It's, oh, yeah. oh man, what a great, a great KO. Yeah, I remember being a kid and watching that scene endlessly. Uh, I mean, I think that is probably one of the scenes I watched most as a kid. It's so cool. Uh, I mean, I watched this movie, like, 
at least once a week as a kid because I was addicted to Indiana Jones. Um, but TJ, what the hell? Why didn't you go become an archaeologist, dude? Why aren't you becoming an archaeologist? What the hell? Because I don't like science. Um, uh, fair point. Go ahead. <laughs> but yeah, it, I mean that, and then coupled with, I mean, you get another classic action scene two minutes later in the in the, the car chase, which I mean, just as good. Um, and I mean, it's one of the most iconic action scenes probably ever. <laughs> I forgot how bonkers that whole sequence is. It's so good. Um, and I mean, I'm, uh, I mean, just like the, the level of like how, how they use just like one car is so like so crazy. And, um, I mean, oh my God, I love that movie. It's so cool. What that moment revealed to me was how well edited and shot and how cleverly shot the film is because That's there true, are several yeah. moments where it's obviously clearly a stunt man. I have, I highly doubt Harrison Ford was going under that vehicle. Oh yeah. I'm just going to go out on a limb here and say that. Yeah. So the way they were able to place the camera to make it still feel as if Harrison Ford was the one under that, under that car and then also the way it's edited, it's very flawless from when he's at the front of the vehicle, goes under it, comes back up from the top as Harris, with Harrison Ford coming back up from the top. Yeah. And the way the camera is spaced from the vehicle and where they place it at different moments during the sequence, whether it's when the guys are on the side of the car trying to come up and, and get Indy or, or that iconic moment where he's at the front, slides under it, pops yeah. back up. It's just, it's seamless. You're never out of it. Mm -hmm. And again, continues the, the illusion that Spielberg is presenting you. And man, it's, it is, I feel like it's almost impossible to overhype and overhype Spielberg as a filmmaker Honestly. because it's moments like that in particular where he knows what he's doing, he knows where it's going to fit in the timeline, he knows what he wants. He's one of the the best at that. Yeah. And and rarely misses as far as as far as big moments like that are concerned. For example, you you have and this is even bigger scale, but you have the opening to Saving Private Ryan, for example, or something like that. He he knows where to place those big set pieces in yeah. film. Yeah, he's I mean he he's like one he's like the king of blockbusters and stuff like that for a reason because he knows how to make he knows how to like just time movies correctly i mean whether if it's just like a, a family like one with a or, or something like that or like if it's not even a blockbuster but like something like a saving private ryan or schindler's list or lincoln or something like that i mean he knows how to perfectly like craft something that's so well paced and so just like like i said just well crafted and it's i mean he's one of the most goaded filmmakers for a reason um i mean he has such a film he has such a filmography that's hard to beat because it's just so relentlessly cool <laughs> it's for so me, well done that too it is for me i would say spielberg kubrick as much as i hate him as a person and from what I've heard, or I guess I should say hate is how I hate his directing style often, what he does to the actors and things yeah. of that nature. I would say Spielberg, Kubrick, 
are two directors that I don't think you can overhype or overrate. Honestly. Yeah, they're both so just... Hitchcock, all... too. I'd probably include him. Yeah. he's He kind of has the same vibe as uh, Kubrick at times, but... Um, I mean, just fantastic. Uh, I mean, they're, they're, they have such filmographies that are so well-balanced. And so, I mean, every, like practically every movie they released was a critical darling that everyone loves. And it's very hard to find one that people didn't. Mm-hmm. Recently, people will point to, or now people will point to Spielberg's recent releases because some of them have been sort of, you know, indecisive with, yeah with, with critics, but I think even with that on his resume, you can't overhype or overrate Spielberg. I just don't think it's possible. Honest, I mean, honestly, a lot of his new stuff isn't that bad. I mean, well, but people always compare it to, oh, it's not what Spielberg once was, which is, well, yeah, yeah, I've, okay, that, that's fair. Um, which is unfair, but I think, yeah, I, I, I like, okay, I think. It's it's he's different. He, he I feel like he's I, I, for a little. I think he's changed as a director, in the sense that he does a lot more drama stuff, and he he kind of just. I feel like now he kind of just does the projects he does he wants to, and then he just like, what well, I don't I don't care. I'm gonna make yeah. it the way I want to. I'm gonna do what I want. He has that what's vibe to, with what's it to you? <laughs> yeah. He has, he definitely has that vibe with West Side Story and now, uh, well, the unnamed remake that I'll just name right now, which is Bullet, that I refuse to um, address. But anyway, that's just me being uh, slightly a jerk and also having extreme love for the uh, for the original Bullet. But I mean, uh, I will say his his remake of West Side Story was actually pretty good. I did like it. Um. Yeah, and I think it had some some great aspects to it. I mean, the guy who's a riff, phenomenal performance. Mm. I think it's honestly one of the best of last year. Uh, and I mean, like the way he's able to craft like the dance sequences and stuff, absolutely phenomenal. Is it Spielberg's best movie? No. Is it the best movie of last year? No. Is it enjoyable to watch? Yeah, I, I enjoyed it, and I think it's fun, but. I don't think it holds a torch to a lot of his old stuff, but I don't really care. It's and, still good. And obviously we can get into this on a sauna, on a sauna Sunday or something of, uh, on that line, but, and we've, we've talked about this before. I just, I think it's really hard to replicate a few aspects of that film, including Steve McQueen, the main actor, trying to find yeah. some of that caliber. Now, I don't know. You, you could address that maybe a little TJ, but then we'll hop back into Raiders. Yeah. Um, okay, yeah, remaking Bullet. I think it. I think it's very different than remaking West Side Story, in my opinion, because the two have very different vibes. I mean, remaking a musical, yes, it's hard, but also I feel like you have room to, you have room to kind of change it a little. You can add new music numbers. You can do that with Bullet. I feel like it's very hard because I feel like it's. I mean, you can't change it that much. It's. It's already such an established story. Well, with West Side Story, it's literally just Romeo and Juliet. You can tweak Romeo and Juliet. It's been told fifty billion times. No one, no one cares if he changes just a little. Um, Speaking of another story that gets remade, remade a lot, like this one that we're talking about now, indie. Yeah, um, but like, yeah, Bullet is a lot harder because, like, I mean, Steve McQueen is 
was one of like the kings of kings of acting at the time. Uh, and we don't really have those now. We don't. Yes, we have popular actors, but we don't have any. I, I feel like now we don't have people that truly like empire, like rule the, the industry. Like I feel like a lot of people did at the time where it's like we have to have them because it will give us all of the money. Everyone will go see this. I feel like it's very well balanced now uh, where it's like, yes, we have big names like DiCaprio and uh, Chris Evans and stuff like that. But I mean, people are probably going to go see it if, even if it isn't Chris Evans or one of them. I think it's perfect that you brought DiCaprio up TJ. Cause I think he is the closest to that. Honestly. Yeah. Uh, to the closest to a, the gravitas that Steve McQueen had or Robert Redford had, or Paul Newman had, I think DiCaprio is the closest, but I a thousand percent agree with what you just said, which we we don't have someone like that. Yeah, it, so like Redford or who the other guys, of course, I mentioned. Yeah, it, it's just one of those things where it's um, yes, we have big actors, but they're not like the caliber of what big movie stars used to be at the time. Um, like yes, if Tom Holland's in a movie, probably people are probably going to go see it, but it's not like it's not going to be the biggest biggest deal. Uh, I mean, there, there's like exceptions to that. Cause I mean, like, I feel like that was one thing with like Joker that everyone was like, Joaquin Phoenix is the reason to see this movie. And I feel like that was like the Steve McQueen kind of feel where it was like this actor's in it as part of the reason to go watch the movie. Uh, but I feel like most of the times it's, it's whatever. It's mostly the idea of it more than the actor in it. Yeah. Ditto to, to that sentiment. Moving back to Raiders, some of the other great set pieces, or I guess another one of the great action moments, and that that remains iconic in this film is, of course, Indy shooting the the guy in the black turban instead of using oh, yeah. his, his iconic whip that he had used pretty much the entire time up until that point. Yeah. <laughs> I... I forgot how funny, like I knew it was always funny, but I forgot how funny just Harrison's, Harrison Ford's body language is and facial expressions that scene. It's just so good because it's like, all right, I I just, I'm not doing this right now. It just, just casually is just like, I got to just forget it. I got to go. Yeah. (laughs) It it was was one of the perfect, uh, that is, it was so perfectly uh, acted by Harrison and uh, and I feel like that kind of that kind of emotion is overlooked as far as uh, portray, uh portraying portraying it in film because people talk about oh the, the the always highlight on Instagram you'll have like the they'll really highlight the anger the angry film scenes as yeah. the, the the best well act most the the best acted moments in film but I I think I think we should point out that that isn't always easy. Just managing to switch your body language and acting on a dime the way Harrison does in that moment. And it just, and it just, that, that quick, that sudden change adds to that scene significantly and makes it one of, again, one of the, I just, would you say, what would you say TJ top five most iconic scene in the film? I would oh, say so. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Top five easily. Uh, I mean, maybe even. Yeah, it's it's might be. Could it be one? I'm trying. I, I don't want to miss anything else. But I mean, there. 
I, I guess when they, well, I think when you put in there would be when the, I don't know if this, this probably isn't number one, but when they put the covenant away in the big warehouse. That's yeah, the end. Yes. The fi- yeah. The final scene. That's definitely up there, but, uh, I'd say like the boulder. Oh, oh, I, that's probably number one. Yeah. The, uh, the boulder. Um, I'm thinking into into terms of like 20 minutes or 20 second segments. Right. That taking the idol at the very beginning. Right. Man, I'm terrible at this sometimes. Uh, that the the one where he shoots the guy. Um. I'm. I mean. I. It's hard. I was thinking so about many. the the tomb bit but there isn't truly there isn't a truly iconic 20 seconds in that it's more of just the whole entire bit yeah i guess like raising the the arc out of the thing oh that's that's true and then i'd say probably oh i mean i have two in my mind it's either where he's on the hill and he's about to shoot the arc with the bazooka or uh where they're tied to the thing and all the spirits are going crazy hmm I think it's probably the spirit one because I think the image of that is very iconic. That's true. All right. So you're saying that is number one? I, yeah, I'd, I'd probably say out of everything. That or the boulder or the idol. I would say... So those three are like the top three easy, I think. I would say I would rank them. I would rank the raising of the 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 statue one mm-hmm. with, the, with the sand. I would put that one boulder two... Yeah. And the other, and that, the one where they're on the, they're tied to the pole with all the guys getting their souls or whatever sucked out of them. Yeah. Three. But, but yeah. And then I would, the other two would be that, the, what we're just talking about with the gun. And then maybe the raising of the The covenant. Yeah. At the, at the, in that tomb section. The well of the souls. Yes. Well, we just listed a bunch of them there. So I think this is a perfect time to ask you, TJ, which one is your favorite uh, well, actually, this is sort of a little bit of a different question, but what is your favorite set piece or action moment in the film? Oh, um, hmm. I, I would say mine, as far as action is concerned, would definitely have to. I mean, it is the probably it is the most iconic action bit in the entire film would just be him going underneath the truck that just that whole bit oh the, like the truck chase or actually it's not the most iconic i i mean i really need to just it, it think well, it, it's definitely iconic i mean i'd say it's probably one of the most famous action scenes ever right but yeah. i i forgot the boulder thing exists so that would be more that would be more yeah i mean i have to yeah I, i'd say like most of the like action stuff in this movie is pretty damn iconic yeah and it's they're all like top tier can't get much better than that yeah so for me it would be that as my favorite action sequence because that one kept me the most engaged and curious about the way and i just love this too when when you'll have action sequences where actors characters have to navigate around a car while there's a chase going on i i i find especially when it's well shot like it is and Mm -hmm. well edited yeah it just it 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 cooks yeah, it honestly does. It does. So I would put that, for that reason, I would put that as my favorite action sequence, favorite set piece. 
would have to be it i mean would have to be the i got really giddy over as i mentioned the submarine and the boat but i forgot how and we didn't mention this yet how cool the lighting is the lighting but just the scene overall the this the the uh set piece overall of the final place where they take the covenant and they place it with, with the sand and the mm. rocks and the and the lights. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. it's so different than the rest of the film. The way it's all set up with the with the beaming lights. Yeah. The way the char- the characters are situated. I there's it was there was something especially seeing it in the theater in the dark, something haunting about it. Oh yeah. I think that and how grand scale it is. I would say that would be my favorite set piece. I think my favorite just like sets, it's not like a set piece or anything, but th- I was just kind of thinking of it as I was thinking of like big things is um the uh the place where they they stick the the staff of raw um that where it's like the little miniature city. I always found that scene so cool. Mm. Um I don't know. It, I, it's not like any grand scale spectacle, but like, I don't know. For me, it's always been one of those things that I remember the most about the movie. That in the beginning where they talk about tennis. I don't remember why, but those are like things I oddly remember a lot from that movie. Then again, I've, I mean, I've been watching it since I was like four or five. So I'm like, <laughs> I've seen this movie a lot. Yeah. When they, uh, it's interesting that you brought that up because one of what I find so attractive about that moment is how how well that scene develops as it, as it, you see in, as you see Indy brushing the sort of thing, the dots, the, the, the sort of plaque almost thing with the holes in it, him figuring out where the staff goes, him breaking the staff, that sort of thing. It was, it's really, it's your curiosity builds, keeps building and building and building as he's going through all these these actions to eventually place the staff and you're and then you as an audience member are like oh things are things are going down yeah it, it's a things are being assaulted yeah it's a true like moment of oh this is it, it the story is truly coming together um yeah i, I it's just always a mem- like a moment i always remember but action wise ooh there's so many good ones i know i know now um, it's it's funny you say that and I and I think oh damn should I have put the the fight with the big dude and that moment yeah. it's just you're right it just you said this it just the, the amount of iconic moments classic moments just build and build and build and oh, build yeah. and build it's it's one of those movies it's ridiculous that, it's one of those movies that like practically ha- like the whole movie is iconic in its own little way like it may not be an action scene or whatever but like just like the idea of it is very iconic that's it's so cool for that reason man um but i think for set pieces oh god i I can't pick one it's too hard all right but i will the one that i think i really enjoyed a lot in the theater was uh the the fight in the streets in cairo where it, it ends with the where they're all chasing around like the the baskets I I always loved that one as a kid too, and uh, seeing that in the theater, I, it was just a nostalgia blast for me. Mm-hmm. I mean, oh, I love it. 
That's fair. I'll I'll be on a lonely island all by myself. I respect your choice. I'll be out on a lonely island with no snakes, Indiana Jones, and we're just going to chill, come up with a plot. We'll come up with ideas on finding new archaeological stuff. Archaeological relics. Yes. And have some have some LaCroix. Oh boy. And have a good time. One of the one thing that I want to at least briefly discuss is what did I want to briefly discuss? I don't know. My brain is going blank. The one thing I will mention is the subtle references to Lawrence of Arabia. Mm. Because Spielberg has uh, said on numerous occasions that Lawrence of Arabia was a big inspiration to him and is one of his favorite films of all time. Yeah. And there are a few shots in this film that are definitely Lawrence of Arabia-esque. I think, I don't want to go this far, but I feel like you could almost attribute just some of the the, the set pieces in the, de- like some of the desert locale to yeah. Lawrence and and the the illusion that David Lean creates with that with that with the all the the sand and the grand uh filmmaking shots of the desert I think you could I think there there is a, a direct connection at least a loose connection between those moments in Indy and in Lawrence and then you have some more direct mo- uh shots comparisons with uh, Indiana Jones walking back and forth on the dune, sand dune, like uh, Peter O'Toole does. Yeah, in Lawrence with the sun above them. But I thought that was a cool that that was a cool connection I made, and I hadn't made in prior viewings of this because that was that was before I watched Lawrence of Arabia. It's it's things like that why I like watching um, sometimes these iconic films not that often, spacing out my viewing. Viewings of them because there'll be people that'll say, oh, why didn't you, how come you don't watch Raiders of the Lost Ark once a year? How come you don't watch E.T. once a year? I haven't seen E.T. in, I don't even think since like middle school. Uh, The last time I saw it was beginning of high school, I believe. So around the same time. I should watch that again. (laughs) It's because why I enjoy separating them is because of moments like that where I come up, where a revelation comes in my head, a connection comes in my head where I realize, oh, this is my view of this moment now. This is what I noticed now compared to then. then. There's a clear distinction and I can tell what what I found out on this viewing experience versus this viewing experience. Whereas if I watched this film once a year, that would have that that feeling and that that the feeling of growth with me and you and others as a movie lover wouldn't be nearly as noticeable if that, if that didn't happen. Yeah. I mean, that's one thing I do love about just even like knowing, like I've seen something like years ago and then just like oddly revisiting it and just like having that feeling of this is a lot better than I remember or like picking up on little things that I, I know, like uh, I know later, like, Oh, this is a really well like written, like as a like writing. This is just absolutely phenomenal. Like I feel like I pick up more on like some of that stuff later. Um, I haven't done that in a while, other than this. But like, dude, it's so fun. Mm-hmm. It is really fun. Moving on, let's talk about our guy, Indiana Jones. Oh, talk yeah. about his character a little. 
the what I like most about Indiana is how mortal he is and how vulnerable he is as a character because around that time you had these big, brooding, strong Burt Reynolds type of characters that were invincible and Arnold Schwarzenegger characters. I guess Arnold Schwarzenegger would be it. What was Terminator? I want to say, but he got big in that kind of role a few years later. But a few years later, but that kind of character yeah, where that, it's that kind of time frame is is starting eighties where they're invincible and and you saw this in the 70s though too there were very much these macho guys that were invincible and yeah. couldn't be they were charismatic and and the best of the best they were the best looking but no one could could take them down yeah i feel like it really came into its own in the 80s though i feel like that's that that's the decade it is it is truly attributed to because oh my lord does it truly become a, it tr- a thing. it's true but there are like serials in the 70s and other things yeah. like that where that well, yeah, yeah. That, it was still there at the time, very much. Yeah, it was present, but, but I feel like, it, I mean, it's it's like a, I mean, I'm going to use grunge music as as an example. Grunge is a thing in the '80s, but it, it's it's like considered like one of the big music genres of the '90s, cause it, or like Seinfeld. It starts in the '80s, but it's truly a '90s show. It, it's like it start it started then, but it gets popular later, uh, like in a different time where it truly evolves into its own. And I feel like that is kind of the that kind of trope, is like once you get Arnold Schwarzenegger and Steven or not Steven Spielberg, uh, Sylvester Stallone. I don't know how I did that. Um, <laughs> interesting, interesting yeah. connection. Or, well, or I, thought, I thought double S names. Yeah, you're good. You're good. Uh, Chuck Norris and people like that. Like that's when they really came into the scene, and like that that thing really became like the big thing of big things. Um, but, but I mean, like, yeah, it is still a thing in the 70s, but I think, for, at least in my opinion, it, it becomes, it evolves into the phenomena in the 80s. Mm. Anyway, back to what I was originally saying, TJ, I, I, TJ and I are not going to fight on this podcast. I, I do mostly agree with what you said, but uh, I still want to make it clear that there are, it was still evident in the 70s that that was a strong character thing because you, Burt Reynolds was still... You still had TV shows, for example, like Jack Lord in in Hawaii Five O was this character that couldn't be touched, and yeah. and that sort of thing, but not quite as macho maybe as a Burt Reynolds as yeah, Jack Lord is, gonna, but yeah, but that idea is still there. Yeah. I will say yes that it yeah, literally I, my revel or my comment on immediately bringing up Arnold Schwarzenegger is in a testament to what you were literally saying, which is yeah. that character is definitely fully exploited and established yeah in the 80s i think the idea of that character comes into that time but i think the evolution where they come become like the big buff bulging muscles slicked slicked back hair and all that that's the 80s trope i mean look at jean claude my guy our guy yeah he comes in (laughs) he busts on the scene in 1985 or something uh nonetheless yeah it's great seeing the vulnerable mortal character that is Indiana Jones. I mean, he gets shot. He's always getting beat up. Yeah. He's struggling with even just the most mediocre and standard soldiers in the, in the movie. So I I think that is refreshing. And then, which is something that, well, never mind. I won't continue with go down that road. I was going to go down a road that I've decided not to go down. (laughs) combined and then uh, combined with that vulnerability combined with his his sarcasm 
and endearing quality makes him that nerdy um book smart book smart not quite super cool but still cool character yeah uh i mean that's one thing i've always like i've always liked that kind of like uh that kind of hero where it's like they're not technically the the great like most like all around like whatever like they're 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 very like they're very much human um like and, and they have their like they have their strengths with like indiana jones it's very much like he knows what he's doing when it comes to like like traversing all this stuff but i mean when it comes to being a fighter and all that he's not the best <laughs> no he, like, no he can, he can beat people up but like he's not good at it yeah <laughs> he kind of struggles um i've always liked that kind of hero it it, it it adds kind of like a sense of just fun to it and adds like an edge to their character. Cause I mean, like as much as I love big, strong Arnold Schwarzenegger beating up, uh, just random guys and stuff like commando. I, I, I honestly like Indiana Jones more like a Harrison Ford kind of thing. I'll be back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, that is, it's funny that we talk it's it's interesting that we talk about this because we see that where Indy ultimately should have been defeated with that big hulking guy when they're uh below the plane yeah. but the guy gets KO'd by the chopper or by the uh by the blade by the propeller. Yeah. So it's that sort of thing. I thoroughly enjoy his obviously his use of the whip and his yeah. quirks that he has, especially uh, that we see at the beginning with him always trying to, even in the most dangerous situations, reaching for his hat or reaching for his whip. Yeah, he has to have those. He has to bring them back with him. It he, the 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 world. It could be the apocalypse. The world could be ending. But Indy is going to get his hat and get his whip. Yeah, I think that's a. I don't know where to pinpoint this. The origin of that sort of. Uh, the draw that a character might have for certain items to that extent where it's like it's iconic and it's one of those things where it's illogical a character going back for something like that but still doing it i don't know what the pinpoint of that is but i feel like it is around the time of raiders that sort of idea of oh i gotta it's it's i gotta grab this i gotta grab yeah. that i i, I definitely sort think of thing on probably like one of the most iconic examples if not the most iconic example where it's like, yeah can't yeah i mean the opening where he, he grabs the whip and uh i feel like there's another one where he grabs the hat i can't remember he does grab the hat he I, I'm, I'm pretty sure he does he it's definitely the i mean the most iconic one of course is the uh, where the wall is going down and and you see the him reach um or when the the, the what he reach underneath it so he can grab his whip yeah that's what i was just talking about yeah right i mean that's the simpsons literally recreated that in one of their episodes Oh, they recreate everything. <laughs> yeah, that's that's true. I shouldn't be saying. I mean, they literally. Yes, you're right. They create yeah. everything pop culture. Yeah, Matt Golding loves his uh, pop culture references. Yeah, definitely. Uh, but yeah, I mean, can't go wrong with Indiana Jones. He's, I mean, he's one of the character of characters. He's, I mean, he's. I, I think as a character, he's practically. I think like transcended and become like so iconic beyond belief. Uh, much akin to like Han Solo, which I mean, I mean, same actor, but um, I mean, they're both so like they're so mainstream and everyone knows them. That I mean, like 
you can't go wrong watching them. They're they're so fun whenever you watch them. Harrison Ford has gone full Thanos as far as collecting iconic characters. Honestly. Han Solo, Indiana Jones, Jack Ryan. Well, really those three, but nonetheless. Yeah. But, I mean, like he also does have crazy other iconic roles like Deckard and Blade Runners. Right. It's pretty damn iconic. It's like the look and all that. Uh, and other stuff like that. I mean, like that's true. I, I, I wouldn't put that, that character obviously is, and I think you kind of are alluding to this in the way you approach Deckard, but obviously not necessarily, not on the level of those three characters. No, oh God, no. But, but that's, I, I, let's add him. So that's, I, I'd put that as his fourth big infinity role. stone on yeah. his, on his gauntlet. I, yeah. I think as a role, it's not as big, but I mean, collectively the film is still very iconic now. And I feel like his look and like the way he carries himself is very, it's very iconic in in and of itself. Even though most people might not know the name of Deckard and all that, right? Like, uh, it, it it's more of like the idea of the character. I think it's more famous than the character himself. Good point. We haven't mentioned Karen Allen much yet in our conversation, and I want to introduce her mostly from the standpoint that her and Harrison have incredible chemistry oh yeah it is evident as soon as he goes to her bar yeah and they have that conversation one thing that's interesting is they have that level of chemistry that's usually achieved by characters that have more screen time together than these two have which i think is an attestament to the actors yeah and the writers and I think also just Spielberg, Spielberg, I don't know this for a fact, but maybe Spielberg portraying to them, hey, guys, this is where these characters are at, that sort of thing, their emotions yeah. towards each other. It's just, uh, it's, there's very few films, uh, chemistry between characters that pulled off that well, pulled off that well with that little screen time. Yeah. Uh, the one, th- the one thing I kind of compared it to in my mind while watching was uh, the new Top Gun. Because that movie desperately wanted to do what they do. Oh, yes. Good point. Um, where with that one, it's Tom Cruise and Jennifer Connelly. Uh, where it kind of, it's kind of like that. Hero returns to uh, romantic interests to life after X amount of time. And uh, they go from there. But there's something about Indiana Jones that does it so much better than the new Top Gun. Which, um, which is, I mean... Fair enough, because Indiana Jones and, uh, oh god, what's her name? Who in Top Gun? No, Top Gun? uh, what's the character? What's her name? Mary. The character, Mary. Yeah, Mary. That's right. Yeah, Mary. Mary. Uh, there's something that they have that just like, it, it just clicks immediately, and it it continues through that subsequent like hour and a half of the film that they're together. Um, that like Tom Cruise and Jennifer Connelly, like they try to go for in Top Gun, but it doesn't click as much as like something like the like Harrison Ford and Karen Allen. Mm-hmm. Definitely agree with that. Nothing is more victorious than when oh, one thing I'll mention about Karen Allen is for a second, I don't know why. You know this, TJ, and I think I've mentioned this on the podcast. For some reason, I connect actors that don't really look similar, but somehow I think they look similar. 
You you know what I'm talking about. That's happened I, before with me. Yes. And for some reason, this happened has happened again with her and I don't. I'm going to butcher her last name, but the character, but the actress name is Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonio. I believe I'm saying that right. She's the actress in the color. Of, she's not a big actress. She's in the color of money. I think she's in. Oh, she's a. Uh, she's in the Kevin Costner in uh, Robin Hood movie, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. She's a big part in that. But for some, I don't know. It's stupid. I know they definitely don't look similar, but I don't know why it just happens. It just happens to me. My brain, it just has issues. But for some reason, I just somehow thought they look similar. I, I, I don't know what it is. I have some serious issues. It's not good for me, but whatever. Yeah, but anyway, this film in general is very victorious in 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 many facets, and one in one one of those ways is when and I and I'm always drawn to films when you have this dichotomy of a character who when you have a character who respects nature respects the sort of i guess the mythical forces but more so just nature in general and then you have that opposing force which is usually the antagonist that doesn't respect it doesn't respect the powerful forces doesn't respect nature and and when and ultimately when when that group or that character who doesn't respect it gets KO'd and gets gets uh, what they rightly what they rightly deserve that is this is probably the one of the best examples of that where you have Harrison's character where you have Indiana who respects that respects the the aura and the 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 alleged power of the covenant and the, the ark of the covenant and then when you have the Nazis who don't mm-hmm. and them ultimately getting the the worst end of it because they don't there's something very uh I guess almost right about that and very much the, the the idea that everything is right in the world and the idea that you need to i guess respect things and and yeah yeah it's 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 a it's a plot device that works really well because like i said you naturally kind of dr- get drawn to that character that is respectful of what they're doing what they're doing whereas again the nazis don't and they they uh they they pay the price for it that's for sure but 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 with saying that it's cool seeing the indiana jones character change from the beginning of the end of the film because it is something to mention because it's often overshadowed which i, I guess rightfully so by the other stuff we mentioned which is the action and the overall just plot and the, the sets and everything but you can clearly see his change as a character from the beginning to the end as far as his experience, what he's seen. Because at the beginning with the Covenant, the Ark of the Covenant, he understands that, okay, yeah, obviously I need to respect this, but he's he's really anxious and like, I have to get this. I have to be the first one to discover this. Not necessarily thinking about or bringing up the the danger. I mean, well, he knows there's dangers, but not quite having that that graveness and um, sincerity that he has at the end, that sternness 
where he he tells these U.S. agents, guys, what are you doing? Who he's yeah. who do you have? Who do you have working on this? Who do you have guarding this? You have to be really careful with this. A a sternness and that that was and a concern that was missing at the beginning that you that came out that came up at the end because of of what he experienced. So to see that change is something that I don't think I. I definitely didn't necessarily spend much time thinking about or notice noticing an earlier viewings, but is low key kind of underrated because of all the grand and amazing stuff that's going on above that. Yeah, I, th- I, 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 it's definitely one of those things where I, I picked up more on, like picked up more on it like this last time. Um, but I, I always, I, I thought that was. A, a good uh arc for him and i think the heat the harrison ford and uh spielberg craft that into a very well done way that's a cool duo just harrison ford and spielberg and george lucas and george lucas correct because didn't he george wrote it didn't he yeah him and philip kaufman yeah right stuff dude yeah and then yes yeah, so you got two banger 80 80s 70s 80s writers Probably one of the most iconic filmmakers of all time. One of the most iconic '80s faces. I mean, you can't go wrong. It's it's it, it's such a well crafted movie. I have to see *Chariots of Fire* just to see uh, what probably happened, which is the Oscars screwing up because they. <laughs> so, for those that are wondering, the Oscars gave *Chariots of Fire* best picture over *Raiders of the Lost Ark*, which I don't want to say anything in advance uh, before seeing *Chariots of Fire*, but I highly doubt that that movie is better than *Raiders*. But hey, whatever. Uh, I, I'm we're all very used to the Oscars screwing things up. So okay, moving on, we have pop quiz hot shot and the. The episode, the camera is no longer on and we will not, that's okay. It's what, it is what it is. So I actually got this wrong. I originally thought that, well, I'll read it and then I'll explain what I originally got wrong. The famous scene in which Indy shoots a marauding and flamboyant swordsman was not in the original script. Harrison Ford was supposed to use his whip to get the sword out of his, out of his attacker's hands, but the food poisoning he and the rest of the crew had gotten made him too sick to perform the stunt. After several unsuccessful tries, Ford suggested shooting the sucker. That's in quotes. Steven Spielberg immediately took him up on the idea, and the scene was successfully filmed. So I thought it was yeah, he broke his arm, but I guess he did not. I thought it was that too. But I mean, made for one of the most iconic movies in movie or iconic moments in movie history. There very true. Very true. Um, fact number dose. Freeze framing during the well of soul scene, you can notice a golden pillar with a tiny engraving of R2D2 and C3PO from the Star Wars saga. I knew that. They are also on the wall behind Indy when they first approach the Ark. I, I yeah, I knew about that one. I, I that was one thing I I will I I even looked for like just because I I'd seen it I know I saw it in my last viewing years ago. And I heard about it through like the internet and I was like, oh, I've seen that. I made sure to look for it, and I was like, there it is. It's like one of the most popular movie behind-the-scenes facts in yeah. existence. It's Yeah, it's so up there. I mean, but I mean, George Lucas doing his thing. Yep. Making iconic movies. What a king. Honestly. What a king. Uh, fact numero trace. 
Indy's line to Marone when they are on the ship, it's not the years, honey, it's the mileage, was ad-libbed by Harrison Ford. Hmm. I like that. Go ham. Oh, I definitely missed a fact. What did I miss? I don't know. Oh, there we go. Fact numero cuatro. Spanish is peak. When Brody first goes to Indy's house to discuss the mission, Jones is dressed the way he is because he is entertaining a young woman in his bedroom. The script originally planned to show her before moving to the next scene to give Indy a more worldly persona, like James Bond, because for those that don't know, Spielberg originally wanted to make a James Bond movie. Mm -hmm. However, her appearance was cut as Spielberg thought that being a playboy did not fit Indy's character. Thank you, Spielberg. I a thousand percent agree. That would have just been really weird. Yeah. All right. The final fact... Keeping up with the Spanish here, we got numero cinco. Ooh. What can I say? I'm, a, I'm fluent in it, obviously. While filming the snake scene inside the Well of Souls, a python bit first assistant director David Tomlin's hand and wouldn't let go. Tomlin calmly asked someone to grab the python still attached to his hand by the tail and whip it so that the snap would send a wave up the snake's body and force it to let go. A stagehand did just that. The python released its bite from Tomlin's hand, and Tomlin got medical attention. The python itself was not injured. Huh. That's a... Uh, lots of snakes. Lots of Insert fun. star with rainbow. The more you know. Yeah. The more you know. Thank you, Dennis Hopper, for this wonderful... <laughs> Dennis Hopper is the spawn... The deceased Dennis Hopper is the sponsor of this segment. Go check out Speed. Great movie. Great action movie. Speed. Speed. Well, that is Raiders of the Lost Ark. A yeah. fantastic film. Oh, yeah. Classic. One of the greatest of all time. One of the greatest of all time. It's just, it's, there are literally basically no flaws with the film. Yeah. And uh, just like I said, will remain iconic and will age like fine wine for decades to come. And it's just, it's, it's, I, I love it so much because it's a film that is, that everyone can love both hardcore film, uh, film lovers and those that are just there for a, a, a nice movie to watch on a, on a night in and where both of those sides can come together and talk about it. And both sides can get their own kicks out of it. And it, cause for example, you know, if the, if the film lovers want to get in the nitty gritty, like we kind of did a little, that's there. If you're just there for the action, that's there. It really, it, it really is a perfect movie to combine and meld both sides. I don't, I don't mean to split viewers in half. You're like, Oh, there's, there's these hardcore viewers and there's, okay, you guys aren't hardcore viewers, but there is that element to it. Uh, TJ, yeah. final thoughts on Raiders or anything that you want to talk about as far as what we've got coming up? Um, I mean, I love Raiders. Like I said a billion times in this podcast, I've watched this movie like a billion times, and I love it every time. I think that's that's the thing with like every Indiana Jones movie. Um, and I got tickets to go see Temple Doom because I'm hyped for that epic um so i'll see that one on the big screen as well so i'm super excited because that one is i don't think it's the best of the original trilogy but i do think it's a it, it, it's one of the ones i 
enjoy probably the most. Yeah, that is definitely my favorite of them, for yeah. sure. I th- oh, actually, it's 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 so hard to pick a favorite because I I grew up watching one and th- uh and the the Last Crusade, and I love Sean Connery in that movie, and it's so I think it's the the last half of that movie is so nostalgic for me. Uh, but there is I Temple of Doom is one over time I've started to love more. Um, it's it's the one it's the one that my family doesn't exactly love, but I I I have like growing up where I've been like this movie's actually really cool and I I like it more and more every time I watch it. I think that's every Indiana Jones movie, but that's besides the point. Um, other than that, we got Elvis on the slate. We got mm-hmm. uh, the Black Phone. Excited for both. Yes, we don't know what we're doing for movie of the week next week quite yet. But there are definitely some options that we can consider. No, I'm sorry for those that are for the for the maybe the the one person that somehow is watching this that is 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 telling us through their 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 mic, "Hey guys, do Street Fighter next week." We are going to save that for later down the road where we can get some more people into this, the uh, room and talk about it because that's definitely a good group movie. I mean, nonetheless, it is a, like I keep, I, I, I keep saying this because I think it's important for people to understand. It is debatably – it should be one of the best – it should be in the conversation for one of the best movies of all time. It is not. But, yeah, we we appreciate you you staying with us on this journey and talking about Raiders of the Lost Ark. Temple of Doom would be a fun one to do later. Like I said, it is my favorite. I that movie kind of slightly terrified me as a kid, but that's okay. Uh, I mean, seeing that dude pull hearts out of guys um, is not necessarily always for the is not necessarily for the faint of heart. But yeah, it is. A, it is a. I love. I love that movie, and it has a. Who's the guy that that's in everything everywhere at once? I don't remember his name. Anyway, short uh, short round's character. He's in that. Obviously, in that, he's great in it. But maybe we'll do that for a movie of the week later down the road. Okay. Well, for that guy over there, TJ. That's me. And for me over here, El Juan. I keep closing out the the episodes now with calling me El Juan. Why exactly? I don't know. But hey, we're gonna stick with it. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Manic Movie Misfits podcast. And we will catch you on the next episode where we talk about whatever we want to talk about because it is sauna Sunday. So bring your, bring your cold beverages, sit down with us and have, and listen to our fun conversation. Peace. Sounds good. See ya. Do it, Anakin. Fly inverted. Oh boy. <laughs>